It is good to see you this Memorial Day weekend, and we would like to thank those of you who have served in our armed forces and family members of those who have been lost, who gave their lives for the freedom we have. Thank you. We continue looking at the book of Colossians. And this morning, as we've been singing the importance of praising God with our lips, but the challenge of honoring God in our talk. Our words, they can be used for good. They can also cause chaos, even destruction. God has a lot to say about our speech. And here in Colossians 4, Paul gives us some encouragement about our speech as he continues to look at a description of the new man. Follow along as I read Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. It says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that nothing would distract us from the principles that you have for us. Lord, encourage us today in our conduct, our actions, our speech. Lord, may we glorify you, and may we draw people to the kingdom of God through how we act and what we say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our speech reveals who we are. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34 says this. Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders and he says this. He says, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our speech reveals who we are. And Paul is sharing here in Colossians 4 what the speech of the new man should look like in our communication both with God and with others. As we've been continuing on through the book of Colossians over the last several weeks, we've been looking at chapter 3, and we've been seeing the difference our lives should look like as a new man. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us, and in the first two chapters, focusing on the sufficiency of Christ, Christ and Christ alone, and because of what Christ has done, if we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're a new person. And as a new person, we should live differently. We've looked at things like how we should be different in our family and in our workplace, but here in chapter 4, how our speech should be different, both in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. We see first in our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. Verse 2 says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. We see that we're to be faithful 
in prayer. It says to continue earnestly. That means being devoted. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 tells us to pray without ceasing. If you remember back to the book of Acts in chapter 2, and we see the, the beginnings of the church, and amazing things are happening, and thousands of people are coming to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And it says there in, in verses 42 through 47, it gives a description of what the church was looking like. And it uses that same term, that they were devoted they were faithful. And here we're to be faithful in our prayer, to continue earnestly. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. And if you're like me, you've caught yourself saying, well, I guess all we can do is pray. Now, I understand why we say that, and I have said it. But that should be our first response, not our last resort. The Bible's filled with connections between prayer and victory. The victory is achieved directly proportional to the focus on prayer. There's many, many examples through Scripture. In, in 1 Kings 18 and 19, we see it lived out in the life of Elijah. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah was on Mount Carmel standing against the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal versus Elijah standing alone. And if you read through chapter 18 of, of 1 Kings, you'll see that, that it is peppered with prayer. As Elijah calls out to God for God's strength and help in this battle against these prophets. But then we get to chapter 19, and the script changes. In chapter 19, we, we find that, that this Queen Jezebel threatens Elijah. After she hears that all of the prophets of Baal, these, these people that sat at her table, were killed, she said, Elijah, in 24 hours you're going to be dead just like them. And so what happens in chapter 19? We see in chapter 19 that Elijah flees. Now, there are several things that he did that were incorrect. He leaves his servant, so he, he separates himself from anyone else who could encourage him. He goes out into the wilderness. He sits underneath the tree, and he says, all right, God, just kill me now. But that's the only time that he mentions God. He stopped praying and asking for God's strength, God's help, God's guidance. But what happens to us when we face difficult circumstances? Oftentimes, prayer is our last resort rather than our first response. We need to be faithful in prayer. But he goes on there in verse 2, and we're not only just to be faithful, but to be vigilant, to be diligent in our prayer, a spiritual energy and alertness. A great picture of this is found in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah and the people have gone back, and they're building the walls of Jerusalem. But they have enemies that are threatening to attack. 
And listen to what Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 9. It says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. Spiritual energy and alertness, being diligent in our prayer. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus shares a parable of a persistent lady who continued to bug a judge until the judge finally gave her what she asked. But Jesus begins this parable with a reminder in Luke 18.1, and he says this, Jesus speaking, Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Prayer needs to be our first response. We should be in continual communication with God. As a new man, as a follower of Jesus Christ, prayer should be a natural and a lot of our life. It should be a natural response. But then Paul does something that he does in many places. He, he adds with thanksgiving. Being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And you see several times in his letters that Paul connects thanksgiving with prayer. Philippians chapter 4 in verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry, but instead take it to God. And with that, include thanksgiving. But thanksgiving is sometimes difficult for us. You remember the story of the ten lepers? Ninety percent of them were ungrateful. But our prayer needs to include gratitude. Without gratitude, our, our prayer becomes just a selfish wish list. Picture a child who continually is asking for new things, but never grateful for what they have. We can have that same attitude in our prayer life. Our prayers need to be filled with thanksgiving as we recognize all that we have in Christ. So be vigilant with thanksgiving. But not only do we are we faithful and diligent and thankful in our prayers, but our prayers need to also be for others. Paul begins to tell us that we're in verse 3 that he asks to pray for him. Those people there in Colossae, please pray for me, Paul asks. Praying for others. Over and over in his letters, Paul asks for prayer. He recognized the importance of praying for one another. Irina Radushkan, uh, I practice this. We can call her R. It's Radishinskaya. She was a Russian poet who was arrested and imprisoned for anti-Soviet agitation. She spent three and a half years in prison, including one year in solitary confinement in an unheated cell when temperatures reached minus 40 degrees Celsius. She wrote a thank you poem in her book, Pencil Letter, a thank, a thank you poem thanking those who stood with her in prayer during those dark days. Listen and follow along 
to the words of this prayer, this poem of prayer for her. She says, Believe me, it was often thus in solitary cells on winter nights, a sudden sense of joy and warmth and a resounding note of love. And then on sleeping, I would know a huddle by the icy wall, someone is thinking of me now, petitioning the Lord for me. My dear ones, thank you all who did not falter, who believed in us. In the most fearful prison hour, we probably would not have passed through everything from end to end, our heads held high unbowed without your valiant hearts to light our path. She recognized the prayer of others as she faced those dark days in that prison cell. The importance of praying for one another. The Apostle Paul recognized that his ministry needed others to pray for him. We're called to pray for one another. James chapter 5 reminds us, it says, and, and we remember verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does much good. But that is in the midst of a text challenging the people to pray for one another. We're called upon to pray for each other. Our battles are difficult. We need to pray for one another. Our responsibility is vital. We need to pray for one another. And so we see here that Paul is telling them, listen, as a new man, you need to have that constant communication with God. Prayer needs to be a vital part of our lives, both for ourselves, for God's guidance and protection in our lives, but also for others. Prayer needs to be a first response, not a last resort. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on and, and reminds us of our horizontal communication. And he begins in verse 3 with his own example, what he's called to do, his example of open doors. Notice verses 3 and 4. It says, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ. Remember, the mystery of Christ in the Old Testament concealed in the New Testament revealed. Paul had been talking about that through the first chapters of Colossians. The mystery of Christ's salvation through Christ by grace. And goes on, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now it's ironic that Paul was asking for prayer for open doors while spending his time incarcerated. He wrote this letter to Colossae, to the Colossian believers, from prison. And you notice he didn't pray for his freedom from prison, but he prayed for his freedom to speak the gospel. He felt it was more important to be a faithful minister than a free man. And I love how he uses that term, open door. I don't know about you, I would have been praying for an open door, an open door to the prison cell. But he prayed for open doors to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, it's a, a, time, a, a, a letter written in a, at the same time while he was in prison. He says this in Philippians 1 verse 12. It says that 
all these things had happened to him for the furtherance of the gospel. He had been put in prison for the furtherance of the gospel, that the gospel could be going forward, that the kingdom of God could advance. And think about what was happening while Paul was in prison, first in Caesarea and then in Rome. And he's writing this from Rome. But you follow Paul's story in the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 28, it tells us that visitors came and went. Paul was able to challenge and to encourage them. While in prison, Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And we're confident there were other letters and correspondence that, that he wrote during that time. And those four specifically that affect us even today. Paul, while he was there in prison, he was changed to soldiers from the Praetorian Guard. The uh, Praetorian Guard, the, the most honored soldiers working with Caesar's household. And so these soldiers would come and they'd be chained to Paul. And as they were chained to Paul, it, it was amazing what would happen. They would be chained to him and whatever the, the length of their shift was, one would be chained to Paul. What do you think Paul talked about? Probably a little more than the weather. And then guess what happened? Shift change. <laughs> Another captive audience. And everyone thought Paul was the one who was the captive. And over and over as these guards continued to rotate through, Paul could share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And he was given an opportunity to reach a group of people who in other circumstances he would probably not be able to reach. And it's fascinating in Philippians 4, verse 22. As Paul's concluding this letter to the people at Philippi, he's, he's sharing those people around him in Rome and giving their greetings to the people in Philippi. And he says this in, in Philippians 4, 22. He says, All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Guess what? The Praetorian Guard that was continually hearing the gospel and others around the palace who had given their lives to Jesus Christ. Paul was praying for open doors. Not to the cell or the house in where he was arrested or incarcerated but open doors to be able to share with the people around him and to be able to share the gospel with the world, even though he was in prison. Paul's example of open doors. He recognized what was most important, and he saw his circumstances as an opportunity rather than a setback. 
How many times in my life do I see my circumstances as something to complain about rather than a time to look for possibilities and opportunities to be a witness for Jesus Christ? But he goes on in verse 5, and he reminds us to walk in wisdom. Verse 5 says this, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. The term outside refers to those who are not followers of Christ. And wisdom is defined as the capacity to understand and function accordingly. We're to live a life with actions that point people to God rather than push them away from Him. Conducting ourselves with wisdom will make us or will help us make the most of every opportunity. We don't want to squander our encounters with others. Paul had just given an example of this in the previous verses. If you remember from last week, talking about worship in the workplace and what it means to, to work in a way to honor God. And as we work to honor God, remember, it doesn't matter who our boss is or what our circumstances are in the workplace, we ultimately work for our Savior. And as we are diligent workers, we create an opportunity to have a voice. People around us will notice. They'll notice whether we're, we're diligent and, and take on the extra job and, and respond correctly even if we're treated improperly. They'll also notice if we're lazy, looking for ways to avoid hard work. But when we are diligent and honor God in our work, we give ourselves a voice to share. And then he says that we're to redeem the time, which points to the urgency to which we're called. And Paul uses the word kairos. Now there's two Greek words for time. One word is called chronos. We get the term chronology. And that's time, as, as you look at, at days and hours and minutes, chronology, time. But kairos means something different, and it's used very seldom. And kairos, it could be considered a God moment, and it emphasizes a proper time for action. So Paul is saying, listen, we need to recognize the proper time for action. Moses in Psalm 90 reminds us to redeem the time. He says this in Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We need to recognize the urgency to which we're called. And in that, we need to live a life that draws people to Jesus Christ. Our conduct should make God attractive rather than repulsive. Our life cannot drown out our message. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this. He said, your actions speak so loudly I cannot hear what you are saying. You ever been around someone like that? 
It's like, I'm not going to listen to anything they say because I see how they live. And unfortunately, we can have that negative testimony as followers of Jesus Christ. Why should I listen to you when I look at what you do and how you act? But then he goes on in, in verse 6, and he tells us to talk with grace. Verse 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, there are really two aspects to this. Our speech should be gracious. We should not be harsh or crude in our speech. There are a ton of proverbs that teach us about words that are gracious. I'll just share three. Proverbs 16, 24 tells us that pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs 15, 1 tells us that a soft answer turns away anger. Proverbs 17, 27 says that a man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. Gracious words. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should be known for our gracious words. And we have a new venue in order to share our words. Social media. And boy, isn't it easy to be harsh cruel, this anonymous face behind the post. That's not what we're to be like. We're to be gracious, seasoned with salt. Salt has several different, especially in the times when, when Paul was writing here, had, had many different uses couple of which were a preservative. Back then they didn't have freezers, and we still salt things as a preservative, but also to flavor things. And salt was so vital and, and important that, that oftentimes soldiers were paid in salt. It was very valuable. And our words should be well-flavored. They should preserve rather than destroy. Our words are valuable. We see that our speech should be gracious, but also our speech should point people to Jesus Christ. We're commanded to share the gospel. Jesus' last words on earth, we call it the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And I understand it's scary to share the gospel. How will they respond? But as we live a life that creates a thirst and share with grace, 
and then let God do the work. And just share your story. What's God doing in my life? And the hope that I can have in Jesus Christ. And it's the same hope that others can have. We're to live and to speak with godliness. Our Daily Bread shared the story, it's quite a few years ago, but shared the story of a, a Turkish crane. And I think we have a picture of the crane. I think we do. There it is. All right, isn't that nice? But it's a fascinating story. So this Turkish crane will cackle when it's flying. And so as it's flying, it cackles, which draws the attention of black eagles who love to eat Turkish cranes, or at least this type of Turkish crane. So as the cranes are flying, they're cackling, draws the attention of the black eagle, and the black eagle ends up with lunch. So these Turkish cranes put a large stone in their mouth to keep them from cackling while they're flying, and in that, to keep them from alerting the eagles. Oh, that we would have the wisdom of the Turkish crane. <laughs> Psalm 141, verse 3 says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, when we live in a new place over a period of time, we, we tend to lose our accent, don't we? Now, it's not always the case. Uh, we still have a few Southerners here at Hannaford that sound Southern. But usually you, you lose your accent when you move to a new place. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a new address. And with that new address, our speech should be different. Both in relationship to God and in relationship to one another. As residents of heaven, we should change our speech pattern. Prayer should be natural, and our speech with others should be gracious. And along with our conduct, it should point people to Jesus Christ. A new man has a new mouth. So what can we do this week? I, I hope and, and trust that over last week that you worked in the workplace to install some different conduct. Remember the challenge that we had last week. What can we do this week? Well, practice making prayer a priority. And we need to strive to live and speak, removing our old accent to speak differently. And I want, again, to challenge you. As we set goals in our life, they need to be specific and attainable. What can you do this week to change your speech pattern? 
Maybe it's a way that you respond to, to someone in your family, a spouse or a child or a parent, and you're going to say, okay, this week specifically I'm going to do this because I know my speech is not gracious in this area. Maybe it's at the workplace. Maybe it's that person that you're constantly around that you've never shared what God has done in your life. You've never shared that with them. And to look for that opportunity, that open door as Paul prayed for. What are you going to do? And then maybe it's as simple as this. Maybe you need to walk around with a rock in your mouth. A reminder Lord, guard my mouth. May my lips praise you and be gracious to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are Almighty God and you are gracious to us. We thank you for the gift of salvation. And as we've been looking what what this new person looks like in Jesus Christ, I pray that we would have a new speech pattern both in relationship with you and relationship with others, may we guard our mouth. May we praise you. And may we be gracious in our speech. And Lord, we will give you the glory for what you will do in our hearts and our lives this week. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.